0: evening, Genesis chapter 3, thinking and praying about what the Lord would have us to address this evening from the scriptures, and I believe we'll get back on the subject of the family. Families from Genesis, Genesis chapter 3, and verse number 1. Let's all stand to our feet, if we could please, in honor of the word of God this evening. Genesis chapter 3 and verse number 1. and made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told thee that thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree where I commanded thee? That thou shouldest not eat? And the man said, The woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave of the tree, and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the woman, What is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle, and above every beast of the field, upon thy belly shalt thou go. And dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that you would please speak to hearts this evening and help guide and direct my thoughts and my speech. Help me to say what only you would have me to say. Please fill me with your spirit. Give me the power from on high that I don't have that can only come from you. Please, Lord, speak to us. We pray this as we ask it in Jesus' name and amen. Could we turn this air conditioner or fan off, whichever it is? It's too loud and can be a little bit distracting. What's it say on the thermostat? Does it look like it's, is it on auto? All right. Put it on auto and turn it off. Got it? Thank you, sir. That will take a minute. Thank you. I appreciate that. A lot has been said out of this passage over the years. There's so much content here, it's nearly impossible to cover it all in one service. We could hardly do justice to the majority of the Scripture here, so... I do believe that this is where the Lord would have us, but I want to draw your attention this evening to the serpent. It's important for us not to put too much emphasis on Satan himself, and that is not my intention tonight. But I want to preach to you on this subject there's a snake in your house. There's a snake in your house some of us believe if we're not careful that because we have set up certain barriers and boundaries in our homes where we keep certain things out and don't watch certain things and hopefully you do have barriers in your home I would strongly recommend that you have barriers in your home between your family and the world and the devil and the flesh I do believe that we ought to shut off certain programs and not watch certain movies. I don't think the Christian should live entirely without barriers. I believe that we should do everything in our power to not give place to the devil in our homes. But can I say something this evening? As much as you try to shut off the devil from your home and keep the snake out of your house, he will still find a way in. You need to understand that this was the perfect environment. There were no TVs. There was no Hollywood. There was no music industry. There was no political agenda. None of that stuff existed. All there was was Adam and Eve and the Garden of Eden and God. If there is not a more perfect environment than that, I don't know what it is. And still, in the most perfect of environments... Satan still found his way in. And Christians make a huge error in our thinking when we think that we have shut out all of the temptations and all of the issues that could come along by our standards. Some Christians, unfortunately, almost glory in their standards as if their standards are what is going to keep them right. Can I say that you can have all the standards in the world, but if you allow a snake in your house, you've got no shot. You can... You can can close all the doors to the world and he can still find a stronghold. And some Christians are not understanding that Satan doesn't creep into our homes. Most of the time, these Sunday night Christians, the people that are sitting here this evening, decent crowd for a Sunday night, the people that are sitting here on a Sunday night are usually some of the most dedicated in the church. And as a result, most of you, I hope, aren't watching rated R movies and listening to a bunch of wicked music and opening the door and giving place to the devil in wicked areas but because of that sometimes I think we get a false sense of security and we get the idea that everything's fine and we can let our guard down a little bit and we miss how he is getting inroads in other areas of our lives. Israel was caught up in their pride about who they were and the fact that they were God's seed and so much so that John the Baptist said, y'all are trusting in the fact that you're from the seed of Abraham, but I say unto you that God could raise up Himself a generation from these stones if He wanted to. They were so proud of who they were and where they were and what they were, they didn't even see how Satan had made a stronghold in their religious lives. Satan made his way in to what I assume would be the most perfect family a person could want. They've got the perfect environment, the perfect setting. They don't have all of the outside temptations, but still there was a snake in their house. Christian, Calvary Baptist, you are my family. And I care for you deeply, more than you could ever understand. And I am here to warn you this evening that there's a snake in your house. Not because I believe anybody in this room is headed towards immediate destruction, but because I believe that Satan is finding a way into the hearts and minds of every Christian to try to wreak havoc in our homes, in our marriages, in our churches, and everywhere else that he can. And we cannot afford for one moment to let our guard down against the wiles of the devil. If there is any place that Satan has become the most deceiving, it is within the religious realm where people think they are safe within the walls of the church or because they read their Bibles or because they listened to a little spiritual and religious music and they didn't watch that wicked movie that the world is talking about, that they're going to be okay. Can I tell you, I think every Christian ought to face every day like this. Because he's already there. There's a snake in your house. I believe the imps, the demons, the devils of hell walk around the same way that the Bible says that the devil himself does. And he as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. And I believe that he's got many under his control and many that serve right alongside of him that are doing everything in their power to make their way into our churches and our homes and everywhere else. And some Christians have let them in and they don't even realize what it looks like. So, I want to give you some clues as to what it looks like tonight. There's a snake in your house. How can you tell? Number one, look with me if you would please at verse number 12. And the man said, the woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the woman, What is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, The servant beguiled me, and I did eat. What's happening here? They're passing the buck and they're divided. They're divided. Well, we're doing fine. My spiritual life is in good shape. There's a snake in your house and you can find him where division can be found. He's trying to divide husband from wife and wife from husband. He's trying to find ways to get you two after each other. To destroy your home, He doesn't have to get you in deep sin. He just has to get you against each other. To destroy our homes, Satan doesn't have to get us to fall into addictive pornography or to get somebody to commit adultery or to get a husband or a wife addicted to drugs and alcohol. He doesn't have to do that. That's not always what the devil looks like. You want to know if there's a snake in your house? Are you fighting all the time? Is there division in your home? Can you not agree on anything? There's a snake in your house. And he's trying to divide. He's trying to divide children from parents. Some parents have gotten the idea that a little rebellion in their child is okay, that every child goes through it. Rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. and If you allow it to fester in the heart of your child, Allow them to disobey, allow them to get away with things and thumb their nose at their parents. And if you young people have the idea that you can disobey your mom and dad and have a bad attitude with them and not do what they say when you should be listening to your mom and dad, let me tell you what you've done. You've allowed the devil into your life and relationship with your parents. You've opened a door. He's trying to divide. That's what he does. This idea that young people can run the home and and make the decisions for the family and that they get their way uh, whenever they want, however they want. I'm not against uh, uh, loving your kids and doing nice things for them, but at no point should a child ever be taught that they get to have their way all of the time and that it's okay for them to stomp away from their parents when mom and dad tell them to do something or to disobey when mom and dad told them to make their bed or go pick up the yard or whatever the case may be. We have become so soft in America that Christians think, well, as long as my kids aren't listening to rock and roll and as long as they're not watching, that wicked movie that just came out, and as long as they're not hanging out with the party crowd, it's okay if they have a bad attitude every now and then. Nope, that's called Satan dividing your house. There's a snake in your house, and he's trying to divide. He's trying to divide husband from wife. He's trying to divide children from parents. He's trying to divide church members from the pastor and from each other. We are not against each other. I'm not against you. I'm not working against you. It's not even in my heart. I hope it's not in your heart to work against me. But we are a little over a year together now. And can I tell you, I'm not saying this is prophetic. I hope it's preventative. Man, I get this sneaking suspicion that any and all progress that we have made recently could be undone in a moment we know it could be but i'm i'm saying man church keep your guard up I, i'm telling you i'm concerned You know, I sat there and listened to these young people, all of them young people, playing and singing. And I thought, you know, I hope this doesn't get old to us. You know how many churches would just love to have one instrument in their church? One. You know, I grew up in a church that didn't have a pianist for about a year and a half. I would sit up in the sound booth. And as a teenager, I, I ran the sound system for a few years. And, and my dad reached out to uh, a local pianist at, um, uh, I think it was Go- Gospel Light Baptist Church, I think, Torch, Ohio. Hope they're still in existence. I don't know. And they had a good piano player. Uh, last name was Mace. I can't remember her first name. And we recorded something like 40, 50, 60 cassette tapes. Yes, cassette tapes. I was the cassette tape generation. y'all remember Walkman's remember walkman's i had I had walk a walkman, you know, and that thing was like a brick on your side you know, and I'd use that thing while I was mowing the lawn you know remember that lawn I told you about that was like on the side of a mountain. I bet if I went and looked at it now it's like it's it's like a, a really little hill, but you know when when you're younger, everything seems bigger right but Man, I'd get my Walkman on my hip and go mowing, mowing that lawn listening to my gospel music. Anyway. And then, and, then, and, then we got, and then we got CD players, portable CD players. But the problem was they would skip. And you, could, you couldn't mow the lawn with your portable CD player because almost every time I'd take a step, it would skip and then I couldn't hear the song and I'd just get frustrated and turn the dumb thing off and go get my cassette player. Y'all remember that? You remember... And then they came out with anti-skip CD players. Remember that? Anti-skip. I mean, that was the bee's knees, you know? But it still didn't work. You couldn't, it didn't work for mowing anyway. Not mine. I had the Walmart version. <laughs> but I remember we had like 50 or 60 cassette tapes that were made by that piano player. To every song, if the song had at least three verses, to every song, all of them, she played three verses and three choruses. You know, my, my dad used to preach against canned music, we called it. Canned music in the church. You don't have canned music. Because a lot of that stuff, canned music in the church, what it was is it was these soundtracks full of drums and all that kind of stuff. And, they, you know, dad didn't want that in the church. He'd preach against canned music. And then we didn't have a piano player for like a year, a year and a half, whatever it was. And we had to use cassette tapes. And dad had to come clean about using canned music. Uh, our ways changed. And I'd sit back there. And I remember, I remember, I remember learning how you could, anyway, anyway. I, Anyway, you had to find the perfect spot to, 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 to get the tape to start to play, because remember there was a delay if you rewound the tape all the way to beginning and you hit play, there'd be a delay until it actually hit the, the track, right? So anyway, had to make sure there wasn't any delay, and you know, I'd, I'd sit back there and pop it in and... and, and and uh, all of the tapes had numbers on them, the hidden hymn numbers, you know. So I'd get, before church, they'd give me a list of the songs we were going to we sing that night. And, and I'd pull out the tapes and get them ready and pop them in before each song, you know, and, and get it ready to play. And as soon as the song leader would stand up, you know, my cue was as soon as he would say the, the song number the first time, then I was supposed to press play. And then by that time, the introduction would start playing and he could say the song number a couple more times. And it did not matter whether you wanted to do it or not. You were singing three verses and three choruses. we got instrumentalists coming out our ears. we got like five, six, seven, eight piano players. We've got like, I don't know, a dozen stringed instrument players and more coming up. Little Brooke is doing a good job learning her violin and she's starting to, starting to play and has been for a little while. I mean, we got my uncle right now in, in uh, uh, Rhode Island is pastoring a church for I don't know how many years, well over five years, has never had a piano player. Not one time have they ever had an instrument in their church. Think about that. And we could lose this in an instant because somebody allows a snake in their house to begin to speak words into your ears that causes you from one weekend to the next, one weekend you love the preacher and you love your church, and the next weekend you're, you're immediately beginning to think how much you can't stand the decisions that have been made. And by the way, all of a sudden, I just, I th- come to think of it, I haven't really liked much of anything that's gone on around here for the last 12 months. I've just been putting up with it. Man, it happens fast. And I know because I've been there more than once. And we think because we've got our pews and our walls and our leadership and our song leader and all of that stuff that as long as we've got our church building and as long as we've got some music to play and as long as we've got maybe a couple of preachers to fall back on, it doesn't really matter what our spirit is. The devil's not really going to ever get into our church. Can I tell you, there's a snake already in this church working every single day to tear it apart. There is a snake in your house, whether you want to admit it or not. If you sense a bad spirit creeping in, towards recent decisions made at the church, if you sense a bad spirit creeping in towards recent discussions, recent messages, recent songs, recent issues, and you're starting to get riled up a little bit and thinking about how it's probably just about time for you to go talk to somebody, can I tell you, maybe it is, but there's also a really good chance you just let a snake in your house. I'm not trying to tear this church down and I don't believe you are either. And, 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 and we can all let it happen without even knowing what happened because we allow division to seep in. I'm not going to get into, you know, where was Adam? Why, where, where was Eve? Why were they separate when, when the serpent beguiled her? You know, I don't know. We can try to come up with some great doctrinal truth for why, you know, well, I should have been in his place. Well, Eve should have been in her place. Y'all ever do anything by yourselves without your husband or wife around every day? I mean, you know, I don't know that there's a really deep doctrinal truth here. But some preachers try to turn it into that. Well, if the woman would have just been around the husband, well, if the husband would have just been around the wife, I don't know, they were by themselves. It happens every day. let's not overthink it. All I know is a snake got in the house. And he divided them. He not only divided husband from wife and got them chewing on each other. Well, it was her fault. Well, it wasn't my fault. It was the serpent's fault. Well, you know, they, they, they got him, he got them after each other. And he's trying to do that in our homes. He's trying to do that in our church. Constantly working at it. And you better keep your guard up against it. But not only is he trying to guard or or attack, should I say, and divide us in our homes and in our church, he's also trying to divide us from God himself. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? God knew where he was. He's omniscient. He knows all things. I believe he was just trying to get Adam to acknowledge where he had gone. I'll tell you where he was, not anywhere near God anymore, divided. And when you get to a place in your life where you have no desire to spend time with God, you've let a snake in your house. And his ultimate goal is to destroy you. You get to a place where you're afraid to be around God, you've let a snake in your house. He's trying to divide. How can you tell if the snake is here? He's trying to divide. Can I say, look at verse number 13, would you please? I've got to move and hasten. And the Lord God said unto the woman, What is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. That word beguiled means to lead astray to mentally delude or lead into error or morally to seduce? How can you tell if there's a snake in your house? One, he's trying to divide. Two, he's trying to deceive and seduce. Seduce means to draw aside or entice from the path of what is right in areas of duty, attitude, manner, and doing it by flattery, by promises, by bribes, or otherwise. To tempt, to corrupt, to lead into iniquity by using your feelings. Seduction or beguilement, requires feelings most of the time. He used feeling and smooth words to beguile and seduce Eve. The world's religions today are very feelings-based, but not very biblically based. The leaders of many of these movements are becoming women. Women. When we follow our feelings, instead of following truth, we can be led into great error and great wickedness. Feelings-based movements and feelings-based decisions make us the judge of what's right for us because we just need to do what feels good and feels right. But on the other hand, Bible-based religion, not feelings-based religion, makes God the judge of what's right for us, not our feelings. And it often goes against our flesh's feelings. What Satan did was he tried to appeal to the feelings of the woman. But look, if you would please, at verse number 5. The Bible says in verse number 5 of Genesis 3, For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. What is he doing? He's trying to get her to become her own God, to control her own life, to make her own decisions. Why? Because it feels good to control your own life, not to submit it to what God wants. That doesn't feel good. And when the woman saw that the tree was what? Good for food. And that it was what? Pleasant to the eyes. You see in verse number six, and what? A tree to be desired to make one wise. Is everybody in verse number six with me? Okay, I want you to notice something here. Satan tries to deceive her and draw her attention to different things than what her attention was actually drawn to. Did you notice that? For God doth know, He says, that in the day ye eat thereof, then your, number one, what? Your eyes shall be opened. Do you see it in verse number five? Number two, and ye shall, what? Be as gods. And number three, what? Knowing good and evil. But what does the Bible say that Eve saw? And when the woman saw that the tree was, what? Good for food, and that it was, what? Pleasant to the eyes, and what? A tree to be desired to make one wise. Okay, so He got her on one of the three. The last one. Are you with me? But the first two aren't anywhere close to what he was trying to get her to pay attention to. And here's how the devil will work sometimes. He cannot read our minds. He's not not omniscient like God is. He's not all powerful like God is. He cannot read our minds. He can only see our behavior. So, he can hear our words, he cannot read our thoughts. Now stay with me. He can see our actions, he cannot know what we're thinking. So instead, what he will do is he will try to insert thoughts to get you to look the direction of wrongdoing, to try to get you to look the direction of going the opposite direction of what God says. Whether or not He knows what will get you doesn't really matter. He just needs needs to get you to stop looking at what God said and start looking for what you want. And once He can get you in your feelings, He doesn't have to worry about what you do with them. You'll take care of the rest. He's constantly throwing things in our faces, trying to tempt us. He doesn't know exactly what you're thinking right now, but He does have a pretty good idea. He's been at this a long time. He kind of has a general sense of what gets men to fall, what gets women to fall, and He will throw those things in front of your face, and He may not even know exactly what you're dealing with today concerning temptation, but if He can just get your eyes off of the Lord long enough and off of the right direction long enough, then He can get you in your feelings and thinking about what you want instead of what God wants And once He gets you there, He's got you. He doesn't have to get you into sin. He just has to get you into selfishness. Once we become selfish and looking at what's good for us instead of what God wants, He's got us. This is one of the reasons why feelings-based religions today are such a danger. They don't lead their churches by the truth of the Word of God. They do surveys with their people and try to find out what makes their people feel good and what they want in their ministry and then they just try to feed their feelings and bring them in and give them a big emotional high and help them feel really good about the service that they've just been in and little by little what ends up happening is you've got an entire church full of people that are living based on their feelings and reinterpreting the Word of God based on how they feel they ought to be able to live and based on how they feel they ought to be able to act and based on how they feel they ought to be able to to listen to music and based on what they feel they ought to be able to watch and based on whether or not they feel like they should be able to be gay, it's a feelings-based religion. And then they twist it to say that, well, whatever people are, that's the way God created them. Wrong. Wrong. Just because somebody has a desire for another man who is a man doesn't mean that God put that there. Just because somebody has a desire to drink doesn't mean that's from the Lord. We understand that, we preach against drinking and alcohol, and most people don't have any problem with that. Nobody runs around trying to say, well, I'm a drunk because I was born a drunk. Nobody says that, but we like to excuse our sin by saying, well, I'm gay because I was born gay. You weren't born gay, you might have a desire to be gay. I don't have a desire to be gay. I've never looked at another guy in my life and thought, wow, he's attractive. I think dudes are ugly. I mean, every now and then, I can kind of get the sense that maybe a guy's got something, but I don't care. Doesn't appeal to me in the slightest. I've never had a sip of alcohol, don't have a desire for it. I've never smoked a cigarette, don't have a desire for it. But you know what? There are other temptations that I struggle with, just like every other Christian does. And I can't excuse my sin and say, well, it just makes me feel good. It's just the way I think I ought to live and that's just the way God made me. No, no. We don't excuse that kind of talk for any other sin. We just like to do it when it comes to the LGBTQIA movement. Feelings-based. Seductive. There's a snake in your house and he's trying to divide. There's a snake in your house and he's trying to deceive and seduce. I got a lot of content to preach through here and I just scared you when I said that. How does he deceive and seduce? He deceives and seduces by twisting the scripture which he did with Eve here. Giving a little truth and a little lie. And that's how... Look, you've got to understand, folks, that Satan cannot get a Christian to fall by just throwing an outright lie in front of your face and getting you to believe it. You're too smart for that. So he has to dress it up with a little truth. That's how he has always worked. Look at it, if you would, please, at verse number... Five again. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, that your eyes shall be open. True. That's true. And ye shall be as gods. False. That's a lie. Knowing good and evil. True. Let's call it a deception sandwich. Truth, lie, truth. And this is how this modern world is dressing up. This is how modern Christianity is dressing up a lot of the lies that a lot of Christians are stomaching. They give you a little truth in their pretty little sermonettes and then they throw you a couple little lies and you can't hardly discern the difference. And little by little, God's people are having the heat turned up in their Christian lives and falling further and further and further away and being seduced by doctrines of devils. Seduced is the term that God used in the New Testament. Is everybody okay? Seduced. Using your feelings. Using error to slowly and surely give you a little truth, a little lie, a little truth, a little lie, a little truth, a little lie. And little by little, Christianity is becoming something that I think if uh, one of the apostles or disciples were to see today, wouldn't even recognize it anymore. being seduced and deceived by twisting the scripture and giving a little truth and a little lie and dressing it all up as truth um, I'm going to say it oh man help me Lord Y'all hang on. Better put on your steel toed shoes. He is deceiving and seducing by twisting the scripture and, be, and, and by beguiling women to use their influence over their husband. I am not one of these guys. Like, I'm scared to say that, to be honest with you. I'm not one of these guys that hates women. I'm not one of these guys that likes to preach that women are second-class citizens like some of these idiots in pulpits, pulpits that have done that in the past. There was a guy that took over my dad's church in West Virginia when God led him to start a church in Indiana, came highly recommended by a preacher that my dad trusted, but dad didn't know him, and he was concerned. He didn't know him, but he came highly recommended the guy got voted into the church. I won't use his name. He got in over there. This was, you know, 20 years ago or whatever. He got in over there. And he was, he was one of those guys that said, you know, if the women are going to be in the church, they got to wear, you know, like the head covering and they're not allowed to speak in the church and, and, and like literally not allowed to speak in the church. Once they walked in the, in the back doors, they were supposed to keep their mouths shut and never say a word. It's like a cult. It's weird. And they use they you know they use Bible for all that stuff. When the Bible says that women are supposed to keep silence in the church. That's not the context of that passage. I'm not here to beat on our ladies. That's not the point that I'm trying to make. But please stay with me. Before you think I'm I'm just preaching against the ladies, I I want you to understand something here. You know, the Lord says, and I didn't I didn't write this, or I didn't uh, I can't quote it. Listen, can we just turn there? I want you to read it with me. Before I get into this one, I want you to see this. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna change course so I can get back to this, and you can trust me on this one. Second Corinthians chapter eleven in your Bibles, if you would please. Ladies aren't the only ones that can be beguiled. I just, okay, this, this is the point of this passage and I'm going to preach it for a moment. But I want you to see where else this can happen. 2 Corinthians chapter number 11 and verse number 1. Paul is dealing with the church of Corinth, which is, you know, crazy carnal. Crazy stuff going on in that church. Major worldliness and, and sin. And he says in verse number 1, would to God... Ye could bear with me a little in my folly, and indeed bear with me. For I am jealous over you with godly jealousy. For I have espoused you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. But I fear lest by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Do you see that? He's talking to the whole church. Is everybody okay? Anybody and everybody can be beguiled. All right. are you with me? Not beating up on women. But he does use the influence of Eve over her husband. Turn your Bibles, if you would please, to 1 Timothy chapter number 2. Before you say, well, Adam's just as much at fault, well, he is. He sinned. Absolutely. But did you know he did it by choice? And Eve did it by deception. 1 Timothy chapter number 2 and look at verse number 13. 1 Timothy chapter number 2 and verse number 13. The Bible says, For Adam was first formed, then Eve, and Adam was not, what? Deceived. He knew what he was about to do. He went into his sin knowledgeably. He made the choice to eat the fruit. So a lot of times we want to throw Eve under the bus and say, well, Eve... Well, Adam knowingly sinned. He wasn't deceived. He knew what he was doing. Adam was not deceived, but the woman, what? Being deceived was in the what? Transgression. So it started with her. And then she came to her husband. And Adam was not fooled like she was but because of his wife, he did it. Did you catch that? He made the choice to do it because his wife influenced him to do it. And can I tell you, we have to be very, very careful about this concept Lord, help me, of female-led houses. It's not the way God ordained it. It's not the way He set it up. God made you men with a purpose and designed you with the personality traits, the emotional traits, the leadership traits to be the head of your home. Now ladies I say this kindly all of our strengths can be weaknesses all of our weaknesses can be used as strengths I believe that with my whole heart let me give you an example most of the time God and and these are generalities but Generally speaking, how God designs man is that God designs man with a one-track mind as a goal-based individual. He is a conqueror. He has the idea that he needs to get things done and he'll do it one at a time and he'll put all of his might and all of his thought into it. And that can be a strength because he can hyper-focus on one thing and get it done. But it can also be a weakness. Because when we're hyper-focused on something and our wife has a need, we can totally miss it. And when our family has a need, we can totally miss it. And we get too hyper-focused on our job, we get too hyper-focused on our hobby, we get too hyper-focused on our career, and miss the needs of our family. And just as the man has strengths that God gave us for our specific roles, so does the woman. God gave the woman a lot more emotion and feeling. And that's a wonderful thing. We could not have everybody in the world running around like a bunch of guys saying, get up, you're fine. You need the mother to come along and say, oh, come here, honey. Let's go get you cleaned up after the the, the kid scrapes his knee. we got to have that balance. But your emotions can also be a weakness. And Satan knows how to use them. He's been at this a lot longer than you've even been alive. No, I'm not saying men aren't emotional. I mean, you saw, I think, the other day at um, the Valentine banquet. one of the questions was, uh, who cries the most? I mean, both of our hands went up immediately. That's me, between my wife and I. I'm not saying guys aren't emotional. I just thought of something. I can't say it though. But let me tell you what the devil has going on today. I'm not saying necessarily in our church, but certainly in the world and maybe in our church too. He's got women all stirred up about their rights and all stirred up about their strength and their power and their individuality and he's got them all stirred up against their husbands, against the pastor, against authority, against males, against men of any type and has turned the entire authoritative structure on its head. And he knows exactly what he's doing and he's doing it on purpose. And here's what will happen. Satan can get you stirred up and work you against your husband. And before I know it, I'm dealing with an irate husband who's actually really just upset because his wife got him upset. Now, some of you aren't going to like this, but I'm going to tell you the truth. In my years of pastoring, the vast majority, the vast majority of people who have left the church have not been because of the man. It's because the woman got stirred up. The huge majority. It's true. I'm not making that up. I love you, ladies. I think you're amazing. I like strong women. I'm not afraid of strong women. It doesn't bother me a bit. I'm just saying our strengths can be weaknesses. And if we don't control our spirit and understand this, Satan can beguile a lady against her husband to influence him from behind the scenes. This is exactly what Jezebel did with her husband. She didn't lead from the front. She led from behind by stirring him up from behind the scenes and using his mouth to get things done. Using his kingly authority to get things accomplished. Now, How can we know there's a snake in our house? He's trying to divide. He's trying to to deceive and seduce. And lastly, he's trying to get a stronghold in our thoughts. You see, as we mentioned just a moment ago in verses 5 and 6. Satan presented concepts and ideas that he thought might work. He didn't know exactly what would work, but what did end up happening is that he planted some seeds that put up some walls and some barriers in the mind of Eve, and then she began to think a totally different direction than God intended for her, and she had a mental stronghold instead of allowing the Lord's truth to guide and direct her. 2 Corinthians chapter number 10, very quickly in your Bibles if you would please this evening, 2 Corinthians chapter number 10. And husbands, every now and then it's good. It is good every now and then, husbands, to say, honey. Um... That's an emotional statement and we cannot make emotionally based decisions. Whew. I knew it would be this tight. Some of you guys are so henpecked you won't say amen. amen. Say, so, well I'm not henpecked. I think of, a, of a, uh, a joke I heard years ago, I think it's funny. Um, preacher stood up one day and, man, he was making statements about henpecked men, you know. You men need to be leaders in your home. And he said in the middle of his message, he said, All right, I want any of you men that are here and are willing to stand and say that you're not henpecked and that you're a leader in your home, stand right where you are. Nobody would stand. One guy way in the back of the auditorium stood up. And he kind of looked around like this. Nobody else was standing up. He said, there's one right back there, sir. That's exactly right. I'm glad you stood and said you're not henpecked. He said, oh, I'm sorry. My wife just told me to stand. <laughs> and by the way, it's good every now and then for your wife to be able to tell you something too. And call the dogs off in your life, too. Can't tell you how many times I go to her and say, all right, honey, uh, help me with something here. Am I thinking right or not? It's a wise woman back there. I love her input. I'm not talking about discrediting her. I'm just saying she's more emotional than I am. Most, well, maybe not. God made you that way. It's a strength. The compassion and the love that comes out of that. It's wonderful. It can also be a weakness. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. I'm about finished. Verse number 3. Visiting preachers come and they preach a lot longer than I do. Hey, remember when I was first here and you guys kept telling me, don't worry about the time, just keep preaching. Where did that go? (laughs) You know how many times I heard that? I don't hear it anymore. Brother David was one of my biggest champions. He'd say, don't worry about the clock, just preach. Are you still with me, Brother David? Yes! All right. Brother David and I are still on board together. Verse number 3 of 2 Corinthians 10. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of what? Where are these strongholds? Look at verse number 5. I believe they're in your mind. Casting down imaginations. What are the weapons of our warfare designed to do? Casting down imaginations... And every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God. High things that exalt itself against the knowledge of God. What is that? What is a high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God? In other words, if I understand the Scriptures correctly, walls like they had in those days around a city to make themselves impenetrable to the enemy. So there are high walls that sometimes are built in our minds and the weapons of our warfare are spiritual and God is trying to pull down strongholds that are created in our minds minds that won't allow God to come in and give us the truth. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Do you see that? Christ wants to take our thoughts captive and he's trying to get into our minds to control our thoughts and make us more like him and his word. The devil is looking for ways to whisper in our ears to create strongholds where no matter how hard God tries, the truth cannot get in. Are you with me? You know how you can tell if you've got strongholds in your mind? They spring up during the preaching. They spring up when you're reading your devotions. They spring up when a a friend is trying to tell you the truth about yourself. You can tell there's a stronghold in your mind when feelings and personal opinions have have built walls that can't be touched. For example, when a truth is preached and we get mad and say it isn't true regardless of how true it is. Stronghold. I'll see it sometimes in some people's lives. Be honest with you, I'm watching some of it happen tonight. And I'm very concerned for you. Preacher preaches the truth. I haven't been mean. I haven't been unkind. I think I've just stuck with the Bible. And people can't look at me. What is that? Stronghold. I've been truthful. I don't think I've been hateful. I've literally literally had people while I was preaching. It hasn't happened tonight yet, so we're doing better than I've had in the past. I've literally, I had one guy that would sit over here When I was preaching, he'd sit over here almost every Sunday. I don't even know why he'd come to church. He'd get mad every service. And he'd sit right about over here. And almost every time I'd start preaching, he would literally turn his body sideways and cross his leg like that. So he's staring at the wall. (laughs) I, I didn't even, like, why are you coming, you know? If you hate me that much, I don't get it, you know? What is that? Stronghold. It's a mental stronghold. Won't let the truth in. Not happening. Don't care how true it is. I don't like it. You might call it being stiff-necked. When a truth is preached and we get mad, probably a sign of a stronghold. When we make excuses for things that we know to be wrong, stronghold. When we prefer the world's ideas about it instead of the Lord's, stronghold. A stronghold is any wall in your mind that prevents God from changing you. When our feelings trump the truth, we have a stronghold in our mind. Satan is planting strongholds in our minds through media, through the school system, through false preachers, through worldly churches, through movies and shows, through music, and sometimes through other church members. He has any number of ways to plant strongholds in the mind of Christians. And he's working hard at it. There's a snake in your house, Christian. Number one, he's trying to divide. Number two, he's trying to deceive, deceive and seduce. And number three, he's trying to get a stronghold planted in your thoughts. I need to be done. Please hear me out. There's a snake in your house. And we might think we've got ourselves perfectly guarded against him and everything's going to be okay. And the truth is he's always working. I'm not trying to be unkind tonight. I'm trying to get you to be honest. There's a snake in your house. There's a snake in my house. There's a snake in this house. And he's always working. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that you would please help us this evening.